to the Secret Language Podcast. I'm Jesse Vaughn. I'm Matt Vaughn. As always, it's us. I don't know who you expected, but it's us. Um, this week, we are actually going to be taking things a little more seriously. I have no references to RoboShack or 8-Foot Lobster. Guy Fieri. Guy Fieri. Um, today, we're actually going to talk about um, kind of like a, our, our own personal coming-of-age stories. We live in a really weird time in a society where for boys and young men, there's no clear moment or time when you can say that they go from being boys to becoming men. And um, Matt and I are both people who feel pretty comfortable saying that we have passed that threshold and uh, just feel like it's a fun opportunity to kind of tell those stories. Um, I guess this is an important thing uh, because we, because manhood is really, in the way you view it, is really what kind of defines you as an individual kind of for the rest of your life. Does that make sense? You know, the way the way you define manhood and what you the kind of man you decide to be. If you're a guy. Yeah, if you're a guy. If you're a woman. I don't know why. You can skip this episode. Yeah, skip, no, please don't. <laughs> don't skip it. Carly, you need to listen. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's that way with anybody. But the way you define being an adult is going to frame the way you treat other people, the way you treat yourself, the, the kind of pathway you take in life is all defined on that. And so... You know, these are big moments and big important things to your entire life as an individual. So, rock on. You ready to get personal? Yes. Yes. Okay, so, when I think of, like, becoming a man and when that all kind of happened for me, I can think of two stories. Like, I had had one in mind that has kind of always traditionally been my answer to that but the more I think about it I kind of had a second experience very similar to that the the first story I'm thinking of happened I'm trying to pull up the the picture that gives us the exact date aha Mm. June 11th 2015 2015 five years ago five years ago um I was 17 years old at the time Matt you had you were 15. 15 years old. So every summer growing up, from the time I was about eight years old, we would go on float trips in southern Missouri. And we'd go with like a big group of Christians. Well, it started most of us, most of it was family because majority of our family worshiped together. Yeah. And then we invited more and more outside, I'd say outsiders, until it was a lot more conglomerate. But. Yeah. And so every summer we would we would all rent this big group campsite and we'd spend a weekend. We'd drive down on like a Thursday. We'd camp and we'd, you know, we'd spend um, Friday and Saturday out on the water. We'd go canoeing and spend a whole day and it's, it's a lot of fun. It was probably one of the highlights of my summer every year. Something I really enjoyed doing. The core part of our childhood, I think. Yeah, yeah. It was a big part of our growing up years. And um, this particular year, my parents had decided that they were not going to go on this trip. 
Um, I think it's because they had a two-year-old and a three-year-old at home, and they really didn't want to go camping with a two-year-old and a three-year-old. Do you do you know why they didn't go? I think that was it. Ben was definitely born at that time. I think they went. Not that year. Oh, never mind. I just knew that we split paths because we were going to Kansas. Yeah, we we were definitely going by ourselves that year. Because we were, it was you, oh, me, yeah. and Will in the truck. You're right. You're right. So my parents did not go on this trip. But my brothers and I still really wanted to go. My parents were like... Very supportive. Yeah, very supportive. And they were comfortable letting me drive my brothers on this trip. And they were comfortable letting us camp. Which really said a lot about us as 17, 15, and 13. Considering the years that came up to it and the havoc that <laughs> Jesse had wreaked before, it was a big step of trust. Okay, we'll okay, leave that okay. one as a big question yeah. for those that don't know the story. Yeah, we'll tell that story later. <laughs> In this particular trip, so it was me and my two brothers in the truck driving down to southern Missouri. And when we go on these trips, when we leave, we drive in a big caravan. So we're following a bunch of people we know. And two of our very close friends, Cameron and Clayton, are driving in front of us. Basically family. Basically family. Um, we're in Columbia, Missouri. We're about two hours into the trip. About two more to go. I-70. I-70. And this is the way I remember the story. I don't know how well you remember it, but up ahead of me, you know, we're in a two-lane, two-lane highway. Some guy in the left lane makes an aggressive merge into the right and kind of cuts a guy off. The guy that gets cut off gets kind of scared that he's going to hit the guy, and he, like, zooms over into the shoulder. And so I turn around to look at the guy in the shoulder. I just realized I turned away from the mic. I turn around to look at the guy that drove off into the shoulder, and when I look up, Clayton is dead stopped. And I'm driving at about 60 miles an hour. So I absolutely stand on the brakes. And um, don't quite make it. I slam into the back of Clayton's car. Clayton lurches forward, slams into the front of the car in front of him, which happens to be our preacher. <laughs> and uh, we totaled his car. It's, it's scary. Like, these. The Hogginsmith's little little tin can that got crunched, like went across both lanes and hit the guardrail on the other side. I was, I mean, it was we didn't know if they were okay, like right as it happened, obviously. And as a fifteen year old, that was like pretty pretty shocking. I mean, it's it's definitely rattling to be in a car accident. It's very different when mom and dad are two hours from home and you're like, and you're behind the wheel. <laughs> what do I do? It definitely helped that it was. With when someone we knew. I wasn't angry at us. Yeah, they weren't going to be mean or angry at us. But then again, it also made me feel a lot worse. I was like, what happened if I hurt Cameron or Clayton? Like, if one of them was hurt, I would never be able to forgive myself. Luckily, no one was hurt. But at this point, we had a big question to ask. Do we continue to go on this trip? Um, to further complicate things, Matt and Clayton were planning on going to Florida College Arkansas camp that summer and that camp started on Sunday and they were going to leave Saturday afternoon and drive down to Arkansas to go to camp mm -hmm. Matt was just going to ride with Clayton and I had just totaled Clayton's car <laughs> so we had some important decisions to make do we keep going on the trip do we just turn around and go home and find an alternate solution 
But we were all pretty selfish and wanted to keep going on this canoe trip. So we loaded all of Clayton's stuff up into We just truck. We just finished the canoe trip. No, it was on our way there. No, 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 it was not. Yeah, it was. No, 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 no. It was on the way back. <laughs> I can promise you. No, 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 no. Yes. You were wrong. Yeah. It we, was on the way we back. We had to pull up onto the shoulder. We had to call. They called Brian and Alicia, and they asked, what should we do? Because then that's why we had to drive all the way out to Kansas, was so that you guys could still go to camp. We did that on Saturday, and then Sunday morning, you guys got up and went to camp. And we went back home. I promise you this is right. But we were we this was after the float trip. No, it wasn't. Yes. Because you guys yes. were gonna leave straight from the campground. I wasn't gonna be following you guys. We were gonna be going opposite directions. No, no, yes. no, no, no. Let You're me tell wrong. my story. You're wrong. Let me tell my story. I don't remember it happening that way. You weren't the one driving. If anything, you're the one that's probably you're probably too traumatized to remember. I'm not traumatized. Okay. Anyways. His hands are shaking. If you, you guys can't see it right now, he's he's sweating. He's he's not in his right mind. We load up all of Clayton's stuff and we continue to go on this camping trip. We go camping, we you know, we go canoeing, we have a great time. And this is where the trip gets very interesting for us. Because not you gotta understand about this truck is that we have it loaded down with all of our camping stuff, all of our friends' camping stuff, and like all of their camp stuff. So like a whole week's worth of clothes, all that in the trunk, in the bed of our truck. The truck is a five-seater, and it really only comfortably sits four. And we are loaded down inside and outside of that truck. So now here we find ourselves in southern Missouri. And we had some friends at the time who were also going to be going to Florida College, Arkansas camp. So we had decided, and they had arranged so that Matt and Clayton could ride with them to camp. So Saturday rolls around, we get our campsite all packed up, and we have to drive Matt and Clayton from southern Missouri all the way out to Wichita, Kansas. And let me tell you, if you've never been to southern Missouri, there are no interstates. It's it's like Ozark Mountains. It's not a fun drive. Pretty drive. It's a pretty drive. But it's it's not expedient. You, know, you got to drive through a lot of small towns on a lot of two lane country roads, which is fine. But we get on this trip, and this is where this is where this like big defining moment really happens. Is we're on this trip and we're absolutely slammed. We're driving through southern Missouri. We get out of southern Missouri. We finally make it to Kansas. We're like awesome. We're going to be there really quick. We'll be there in no time. I was so wrong. We get on Kansas State Highway 400. Do you remember Kansas State Highway 400? Mm. Imagine a straight line that never ends. <laughs> that is it. Wait, I mean, I think when we hit the Kansas State line, we still had like six hours left. Oh, something. yeah. It was ridiculous. My GPS said, continue on the Kansas State Highway for 180 miles. I'm like, perfect. Coming up at 180 miles, we'll probably be at about Wichita. Three hours later, there's a little roundabout in the middle of nowhere that says, take the second exit and continue on the <laughs> Kansas State Highway 400 for another 180 miles. And I thought, good grief. Keep going. Just keep on going. And so we eventually make it towards Wichita. 
you get into Wichita, and I'm not going to tell Matt's embarrassing story. There's a lot of embarrassment oh, wrapped see, around the entire yeah, trip. So that's like the basis of it is that it's a long slog of a trip. Like the rough part was, um, I think the biggest like defining characteristic of that trip itself was the first hour right after the the crash was a little awkward because everybody was still like pretty wide eyed, pretty shocked by it, didn't really know what to say, um, and then. It was about like on the dot, like an hour on the dot afterwards that the jokes started to fly Jesse's direction. Like, can't believe you totaled my car. Watch out, Jesse might total your car. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really got a lot of. There are a few like stops we made that I to this day, I promise never to speak of again. Oh and yeah, I'm, that's you know so like there are things. Campsite, you were giving me a hard time on our way back. We it was it was a lot of fun, even though it was kind of exhausting. Because you had five teenage boys crammed shoulder to shoulder in this truck. And hour one's a lot of fun. We listen to a lot of good music, making a lot of jokes. All of Clayton's bootleg CDs. Yeah. <laughs> Clayton's burned them himself mixtapes. We made we made a stop in a city in Missouri that we had promised never to speak of again. Uh, made an inside joke that got taken way too far. That's why we promised to never speak of. And by the time we made it to Wichita, we could not stand each other. And like, for for those that don't know the group, those as a group, like those are some of my favorite people that I know, and I've known them my entire life. But at the end of that road trip, I was so tired of every single person <laughs> in that car. We we were in Wichita. We're like five minutes from our friend's house, <laughs> and like we're just so done. Our youngest brother, not our youngest brother, but the youngest in the car, Will. He's trying to keep it light and making jokes and we're just like shut up no one talk we don't want to i don't want to talk till we get there honestly good for him yeah he was like, he was taking it the best yeah but we were all pretty sick and tired of each other and so we come to the end of the story and we, we arrive in wichita safe and sound matt and clayton get up the next morning and they go to camp with their friends uh, i drive cameron and will back to kansas city back home for another four hours. So we drove a lot of extra miles on this trip. And the reason, like bringing this whole thing back together, why I think this was like uh, becoming a man thing was kind of the taking responsibility for my actions thing. Mm -hmm. Because I very easily could have said, man, dude, I'm sorry. What are you going to do now? Like, and just, you know, I could have, Tried to wash my hands of it. I could have acted like it wasn't my problem, but I decided that I was going to make sure that they still got to go on the trip. They still got to go to camp. I didn't let anyone else drive the whole time, not because I didn't think they were capable of it, even though I had proven to be the reckless driver. I decided that I was going to drive the whole way because it was my fault, and I wanted to make up for it. And so you have like taking responsibility and then the ultimate amount of patience it took to not kill each other on that road trip. It's honestly one of like the most fun memories I have growing up. It's definitely one of the best stories that I have. It was, it was just kind of a big moment for me to, to wake up and realize that there are more important things than having fun and doing the right thing was definitely a rewarding experience. Otherwise we wouldn't have had that good time. Wacky and wild stuff. 
That's for sure. So I have a second story I'll tell, but I want, I've been talking for about 16 minutes straight, so I'm going to let Matt take the reins. We're going to change the mood lighting. Boom. Mm-hmm. Um, this was, I did not know the topic, or at least if I did know, I forgot about it until right before we started recording. Good thing I talked for about 16 minutes. This is a bit on the fly, but, uh, I, I agree with what Jesse was saying. I mean, um, our, our culture, I'm not even remotely qualified to talk with words like culture or society. So I'm not, I'm not some person who's probably able to say this but i do think it's like worth noting that american culture doesn't have like a designated set time for people to become adults um it's not like uh once you reach this age or once you reach this achievement now you're an adult it's like that there's no clear line it's a pretty gray area it's funny i was thinking like two i guess the close thing to like a modern equivalent we have to that but they're both like really sketchy examples as it is. Mm. You know, like in America, you turn 18, you're legally an adult. Mm. I'm not going to call all 18-year-old boys men. Right, right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, it's like there's an age that you graduate high school. There's an age that you can join the military. There's a different age for when you can drink. There's a different age for when you can vote. Drive a car. All those vary state to state. Not all those, but the driving the car does. And it's like, I think that can make it a confusing time for people because even once you've left the house, it's like you're still very dependent on your parents when you're in college. Usually for most, most cases, not all, but most you're still listed as a dependent on taxes or whatever. And like, there's just not a super clear line of now you are a man. Now you're off on your own. Um, Well, I think, which has its pros and cons, I think, but once again, not qualified to talk like that, please bear with my, uh, ignorance. Now, before you start, mm. just just curious, do you think that like adulthood and manhood is constituent upon being on your own? Because I think it's more like a mindset and kind of like an overarching set of values. No, I, I don't think it's like necessitated by being on your own. But I think that's like a pretty. It's a good. It's a. It's a good place to start. It's a pretty good like kick out of the nest. It's like you're gonna have to learn to fly, or you're gonna hit the ground pretty hard, buddy. Like, <laughs> you, you can, I'm sure we can all think of some, you know, adult middle-aged men that don't act like men, like men. And so, you know, I think um, it's over overall, it's like a, a mindset and a set yeah, of attitudes and values. I think so. But stepping back, I'm gonna let you do your thing. Yeah, totally. Because I mean, that like we we briefly talked about in my Pauline epistles course with Dr. David McClister. Once again, I'm not qualified (laughs) to talk about these things, but he mentioned in class how in Roman society during Bible times, uh, there's like a certain age and I'm not sure even what it was. It was like 15 or 16 or something. Um, but when like a boy becomes a man and then he's allowed to wear like different clothing to signify that he's a man. And while I think that has its perks where it's like, now you actually have like an achievement in your mind to say, I have to step up at this point. There's some- it's also like a danger kind of thing where it's like, 
there's plenty of 15-year-old little Roman boys running around that are not men, but are yeah. technically called men. So, I mean, there's pros and cons probably. I'd, I have no idea. But here's my experience. Um, I kind of moved out early, which has a lot of pros and cons as well. Uh, after my sophomore year of high school, thanks to the kindness and uh, generosity of many other people, I was able, I had the opportunity to do a preacher training internship in Exton, Pennsylvania with Jeff Smelser and the church at Exton. And that was an absolutely life-changing experience that has affected me to this day. Um, it was literally all because of Jeff's mercy and Mark Cook's uh, extreme kindness towards me. We had, Mark Cook, if you don't know him, one of the best people I know. Amen. Um, and he he was a mutual friend between Jeff and my family. And he was aware that I was looking to do this sort of thing. And he spoke up on my behalf to Jeff. Uh, and somehow Jeff was merciful enough to say, here's a person halfway through high school. Let me see what I can, I can do work with. Um, once again, very, very grateful to them, but, uh, we're from Northwest Missouri, like it's pretty much as far West as you can go without being in Kansas. Pretty, we're like an hour from the Kansas border. So we're, we're pretty far that way. And Exton, Pennsylvania is a suburb of Philly on the Western side of Philly. And so that's like a 17 hour drive. <laughs> Not to mention the culture shock that comes with. Yeah, seriously. Missouri to Philadelphia. To Philadelphia. Um, I'd never lived in anywhere like that before. So there was a lot of a lot of different levels of culture shock for me. But um, my mom and dad packed up the Camry and packed up me. We hopped on I-70. And that takes you all the way to Exton, pretty much. Um, and so we, we drove all the way out there in, in like a two-day trip. Um in like mid-May and we met the Smelsers and my mom and dad stayed for a couple days and they flew back so I would have the car while I was there and I was staying with Josh Gertler who is one of my favorite people um it's an honor to be called his brother I mean that whole family is extremely wonderful and Josh and I were were living together for the first couple weeks when I was there in Pennsylvania his family was out of town, and so it was just me and him and like a bachelor pad, living it up. And uh, like the first day after mom and dad went back home, I was like freshly 17 years old, like literally like maybe a week or two into 17 years old. And here I was um, living in a house with a guy I had never met, working with like a church of people that I had never met, never heard of. And my family was 17 hours away. And I was like, rats, like this, this better pan out because like, if there's any like smell of trouble, I'm in trouble. <laughs> like I'm in danger. Um, and I was extremely fortunate um, because I, it was like a, pretty big gamble like there were a lot of variables that could have went wrong in that situation um 
but I was met with nothing but graciousness and extreme kindness. And I, my eyes were open to just how big God's family is. And I was taken care of by many, 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 many people, many family members I didn't know I had. Um, but it was like a, it was like a really strange experience where I was 17, but I was like, every day was getting up and going to work on my own and not to, not to expose them or anything at all. But I was like cooking my own food when I was at Josh's house because Josh has a pretty specific diet that I was, I was like, well, I'll just eat my own food probably. The other families I stayed with fed me very well. And you know who you are. You're all very good cooks. But um, I was like completely on my own in terms of like responsibility. Like I had a work schedule. I had expectations that were placed upon me. Um, I had all these things that um, I I had not like foreseen having to deal with before. Um, And like, obviously my, my family house like blood family was there to back me up and stuff on FaceTime but it was like it was the first time I was truly like you got to do this all on your own but and like I said like I was I was helped by so many people along the way there in, in Pennsylvania and I have like nothing but thankfulness for them but it was like the first time I had to deal with a lot of those things on my own um and I did the same thing the next summer um after my, or I guess this was after my junior year, but I did the next thing after my senior year. Um, that was a little closer to home in Arkansas, but uh, all over the place. Um, just trying to like operate on my own where I would usually have parental guidance. Um, definitely came back from both of those summers a a different and hopefully much better person, but uh, tossed into the fire in a, in a way. That was what summer was that? Twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen. Yep, that was right That's after right. my junior we year. Still, we were both still at home in summer twenty seventeen. Yeah, I, I get that date mixed up. I kept thinking. Yeah, I messed that up. It was it was the summer after my junior year, and then the summer after my senior year of yeah. high school. And that's tough. That that would be a very, you know, I tell my story and I think it's pretty good. I mean, like I lived 17 hours away from home <laughs> for the entire summer with people I didn't know, taking care of myself and getting critiqued by another preacher every <laughs> single week. And I'm like, well, my story is kind of lame. No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not but, to, you know. to each their own. I mean, everybody yeah. is taught different lessons in different ways. And that's kind of like the the fun mystery box of life, I guess. I mean, that's definitely, that's still a crazy story to me, how that's come around the table. I mean, I like, I think about if I was in Jeff's position where it's like, here's, here's Mark Cook, a man that I, I know very well, a very good friend that I, I trust very much. And he's like, look, there's this high school kid. And I know that usually with preacher internships, you're looking for like a college age person who's actually got their head on straight a little bit. But here's this high schooler. And I think if I was Jeff, I would have said, no way. This kid's from 17 hours away anyway. Like, even if he was something, no way. 
Um, that's like a little bit too much, but he was very gracious, um, very kind and patient. <laughs> that was um, an interesting summer for us both, actually. Yeah, it was. That year, I worked in the U.S., and that is the furthest we'd ever lived from each other. I was in Flagstaff, Arizona, <laughs> you were in Pennsylvania. Yeah, like that was different coasts. And mom, I, I couldn't imagine what it was like for mom. Like, you know, I had just been out of the house for an entire year at college yeah. and then I spent you know more than like two three weeks at home the entire summer mm-hmm. and then you were gone the entire summer and we were on like basically opposite sides of the country yeah from her very different time zones <laughs> yeah so um, shout out to mom for being the realist mom and dad both um they put a lot of trust in us they put a lot put of an awful lot of trust um, the next story that I have also plays a gotcha into move light back. There we Ooh. go. New story, new color. Bingo. We've got these LED lights that Matt brought with him. Uh, these are in my house, hanging up in the corner of our house under the table that we're recording at. So, giving it a nice little ambiance. We're looking at a burnt orange right now. Uh, yes. If you can imagine that. So, this story comes from the summer of 2018. Yes, summer 2018. It was the end of July. It came about one week, two weeks before I moved to Bowling Green mm-hmm. for school. Because my lease started April, uh, August 1st, and I decided I was going to be there to move in, sign the lease, all that good stuff. And so, like, a week before that, I decided that I really wanted to go to Colorado and go camping and hiking. Because I had some free time. I made some money. I wasn't working a traditional job. I was working for my dad at the time. And so I had this great, really open schedule. And I decided I was going to take advantage of it. So I called um, a couple buddies of mine. One of them, Clayton from the first story. And uh, my friend Tom, both of which are from Kansas City, real close to where I'm from. I met Tom at FC, grew up with Clayton. And then Will came with us, my younger brother. We decided to go to Colorado on a four-day trip. So we left on a Wednesday. We left on a Thursday. We left on a Thursday. Spent the whole day driving up to Colorado. It's about eight hours. Another really gracious straight line shot across the state of Kansas. And we camped that night. We arrived in Colorado after a long day of driving. And the campsite we wanted to stay at, you can't make reservations for. It's in it's in Rocky Mountain National Park. And so we just, you, you basically have to drive up there and see if there are any spots open. If there are any spots open, you can camp there. That's basically the way it works. And it's pretty, pretty goofy way of running a campsite. But hey, I just, I don't make the rules. I just have to live by them. So we show up and the campsite we were planning on staying in is, is booked not a spot open for us we have to scramble to find a place to camp (laughs) so we find a place that's like twice as expensive as what we were planning on and we make camp for the night we decide we we picked out some hikes so uh, thursday friday morning we get up early make make cowboy coffee over the fire eat some food and we are going to go hike up to bear lake so it's about ten thousand feet above sea level Really cool. They've got a bunch of lakes up there in the mountains, which is a really cool experience because you're up there hiking, 
it's the end of July and there's like snow up there and the water's like really pretty. There are people fly fishing at 10,000 feet, which is like now a dream of mine to go fly fishing. That's manhood there. right like there, dude. It's so cool. <laughs> um, so we're up there, we're hiking, and man, we are getting beat. <laughs> you know, we're all from the plains of Missouri. Sea level like 500. I don't really know what it is, but it's not not very high. And now we find ourselves starting a hike at 7,000 feet and climbing 3,000 3, or so feet in elevation. Like an eight-mile hike. Man, we, we're getting pounding headaches from the elevation. None of us are in super great shape to be doing these hikes anyways on top of the elevation gain. And so we go, you know, we, we grind through it. We're exhausted at the end of the day. And so we get back and we decide to go look at the other campsite we liked, we wanted to go to, and we had a spot. It's cool. We go up there and it's like $17 to camp there for a night. But that campsite is at 9,500 feet above sea level. Like really crazy high up. And so we camp for the night. We're eating the food that we brought, which was probably not the best for us if we're going to spend all day hiking. I don't even remember what it was, but it probably wasn't the smartest food decisions. And um, the next morning we had planned, we, we were of the mindset, okay, if we're going to be here two days of hiking, we're going to make the most of this morning. We are going to try to climb Long's Peak, which is a 14-er, like 14,000 feet above sea level. We've been there for one day. We're like, we can do this. We're young. We're, you know, I'm, I'm 20 at the time. Clayton, Tom, they're 21, 22 years old. Will, amazingly, is 16 on this trip. And I'm like, all right, we're going to, I asked them, like, hey, should we do this? Are you guys okay trying it? They're like, yeah, yeah, we're great. We're invincible. There are literally articles on the internet called Why You Shouldn't Climb Long's Peak. And we read them and still decided we're going to do it. Because we're stupid. And um, so we got to bed early that night. And four in the morning, my alarm clock goes off. I get the other guys up. And we start hiking. Now keep in mind, you start this hike at like 9,000 feet. We're trying to climb up to 14,000. It's like a... It's like a 10-mile hike to the top, which is, now no, it's like six miles. But you, it's, it's a lot of, like, literal climbing. So we start at 4 in the morning, and we were actually really lucky because if you're going to try to make it to the top, you should honestly start earlier than 4.30, which seems bananas to say out loud. But we were lucky to have popped over the tree line on the mountain right as the sun was starting to come up. So we got to sit on sit about halfway up the hike and watch the sun come up, which was crazy because you're sitting above the clouds. You see it popping up over the top of some of the other mountains. It was amazing. So we keep going on this hike. We're getting higher and higher. We're having to take, like, breathing rest breaks every – 30 minutes, because the air's thin up there, and we're all from Missouri. <laughs> um, we keep hiking. 
it's, it's really pretty. It's, it's amazing. You kept saying that it kind of reminded us of scenes from Lord of the Rings. Like, it was, I mean, it was gorgeous. And we finally get to what's called the keyhole. It's this little, like, hand-shaped thing. Right where that little cranny is where the thumb's at. It starts running into your pointer finger. It looks like that. You gotta climb through that, and that's where the hike gets like really tough. Because then that's where you can fall to your death. And people have. They're at the little ranger station at the trailhead. There's a missing hiker poster. I still went. Looking back at this, I don't know why we did what we did, but we did. And so you have to be very careful, watch all your footing. And we, we get across the really scary part, and then you have to scramble. It's like, a thousand feet straight up and you're just like climbing over top of rocks like like a ladder the whole way up we are all exhausted and but we're just determined like we have to get to the top we've made it this far we drove this far to do it we're going for it and we powered our way through it we thought we were gonna have to like leave will like sit still we'll come back Probably a bad idea. Dad told us when we left, he looked at me right now and said, Will is Benjamin. If Benjamin doesn't come back, you don't come back. (laughs) Don't bother coming home. Got it. Yes, sir. (laughs) So, 16-year-old Will. I mean, he's an animal. When we stopped to take breathing breaks, like we're all like tired and winded. I mean, he had his head within in between his legs like he was looking bad and I'm not kidding he made it to the top of that mountain and we took we took a picture up there like it was just the wind was blowing real crazy real fast you can see so far like it's 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 unbelievable and then we realized we're only halfway through this hike like we're only halfway there. We have to go all the way back. And so it was very similar to that driving to Wichita experience where, you know, we're just walking as fast as we can in silence. No one talking because we can't bear to talk or say anything to each other ever again. <laughs> and like we make it back down at like four. So we've been hiking for about 12 hours. I think it was something like eight. 12 to 18 miles. I don't remember exactly anymore. But we went and took a nap immediately. <laughs> took a nap. We decided not to cook. We went down to the city and like had pizza. Had a good time. But that was a really big experience because we were just like this indomitable will. We were like, no, we're not going to let this beat us. We're, we're going to make it. And we pushed ourselves to a place that we probably could have killed ourselves. And when we went to church the next morning, where some friends of ours went, you know, they were like, oh, visitors. You know, they were talking to us. Like, oh, so where are you guys from? Oh, we're from Missouri. What are you all doing here? Oh, we decided to go camping, hiking. Oh, where'd you go hike? Oh, we hiked Long's Peak. We did what? Like, people that have lived there their whole lives were looking at us like we were crazy. Saying that they'd never done it. We were just too naive and stupid to say, no, we're not going to try. That was a big moment, mm. making it to the top and feeling like 
we like we weren't going to stop until we made it. We eventually did. That was more of a, like a. I hate when people say this, but I'm going to say it anyways. It was kind of like a spiritual experience. Hmm. Because it was just very. It was incredible to be up there. Like. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, like God made that, and just frankly, so few people have been up there as far as like a broader population. Yeah. And seeing that and being a, like, you were totally immersed in it. Like, there's, there's hardly even signs keeping you on the trail. Yeah. Like, and I mean, you were totally just out like there. the whole, you know, overcoming a difficult and trying task for a reward. I mean, that's like a, like a total spiritual story. Oh, I yeah. mean, and obviously, like. I think I think there's like a there's a middle ground between like two extremes with that where it's like well we shouldn't say anything's a spiritual experience or it's like well that doesn't sound like a very good life if you don't have any like if all your experiences are like material or secular probably doing something wrong there buddy but at the same time if you just go out in your back porch and drink some like tea that is turned and say, wow, I've had a spiritual experience, or say it flippantly. It's like, well, that's probably not right either. But I think it's I think it's important, and maybe I'm wrong about this. It's possible. It's very possible. <laughs> but I think it's important to be able to, to, see, to use your experiences that you have physically or materially and be able to, like, point to how that is like a spiritual parallel, yeah. you know, because like that's what, you know, all these these three stories are about growth and about uh, maturing, and it's like that's that's what life's all about, you know. It's about standing at the edge of the the forest and you can't see what's ahead, and you have to make like the like the infinite trade deal of taking what you know and what you're familiar with and giving that away for experience and, and growth like that's that's what life's literally all about that was poetic that hey was hey you can take that to the bank <laughs> like that's the that's what people have to do yeah like to grow you you have to give away what's comfortable and familiar in order to grow there's a quote that i you got to give up your uh, breath and your Missouri Plains to, to reach the peak. So there's a book that I read that summer called The Obstacle is the Way. I've talked about it to you probably a million times. I probably have talked about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you said you agree. <laughs> um, but the, the main quote to that is, you know, the impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. Like, and that, that ties into that. And I, I always imagine literally – Long's Peak, like that mountain, when I think of that, because you know, that, that was the obstacle that was in our way, and the only way to overcome it and to have that experience and to have that growth was you had to tr- you had to go straight through it. There's no, there's no way around it. You just had to, you had to do it. You had to do the thing. And, uh, my words are less good than Matt's. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, but realized when I was thinking about these stories that they had a 
like three things in common. Hmm. Let's hear it. Driving through Kansas, Clayton, and Will. Hey. It's like if I need to have a big experience, I need to go to Kansas with Will and Clayton, and it'll be. You're gonna come back with like a. Come back a better man. A true story, yeah. No one asked for this. I decided it was going to be a good thing to talk about because it gave us some opportunities to tell some good stories about our lives. Mm, totally. Talk about something that matters, some personal growth. Um, yeah. There you go. I'll go ahead and take this opportunity to plug some upcoming upcoming content. There's a new... <coughs> Mini mini album EP whatever you want to call it by Ezra Glenn. By the time this airs, it'll be probably like five or six days till till it'll show up on Spotify and stuff. This will probably go live tomorrow. But um, I had I had a uh, I had a lot of song ideas I've been sitting on for a while, and frankly, this whole um, quarantine and eviction process has been pretty trying and that's a good time to be creative and so there's a lot of songs about i say a lot of songs there's only seven but there's a lot of themes of um gratitude and hospitality and humility and um i'm a very big fan of some of the words that have come out of this and there's some real tear jerkers there's some real bops um, bops and bangers bops and bangers but it's uh the project's called house party sleepover and just keep an eye out because i'm i'm very happy with how it's come out we will announce it on our uh, instagram page oh thanks just just because <laughs> um so i'm gonna wrap this thing up thank you guys for listening to us tell stories about our lives um Thank you guys for listening. I've, I'm, I have always been and always will be Jesse Glenn, and I'm joined as always by my wonderful brother. Thank you guys for listening, and uh, peace out. Goodbye. <laughs>